It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle belling And everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year It's the half-happiest season of Good morning. Am I on? Check one. There we are. How are we? Doing good today? I am so excited. This week, it has begun. Holiday season. This is officially in full swing as we open with Thanksgiving this week. And uh, I don't know what your plans are, but in our home, it is full steam ahead. I love this time of year, and even more so, I think even over the last few years, each year I become even more out of my mind around the Christmas time. Uh, we decided to decorate our home the earliest we've ever done this year, which was on my wife's birthday on the 14th of November, and I couldn't be happier, and, and so we, we've been just uh, Christmas crazy at our home. I'm just excited to deck the halls, listen to the music, watch Christmas movies, and and, I, and I'm, a, I'm a proud daddy because I'm starting to see this Christmas mania filter into my children. Uh, one of the things that I try to do with uh, my kids from time to time is spend like one-on-one time with them. And for the girls, we call this daddy dates. And for the boys, we call this buddy time. And got to hang out with my uh, youngest son, Asher, yesterday and, and my other son a couple weeks ago. And But just kind of like an impromptu time with my daughter, London. She's our youngest daughter. And we were at home, uh, mom was out, I think, shopping or, or uh, otherwise um, engaged, and I had some time just to spend with the kids at home, and normally the boys have me on the PlayStation faster than I can say, what do you want to do? And, but this time, I, w- I had some time to think about it, and so I was, went, said to my daughter, London, I was like, what do you, you want to play with me? You want, you want to hang out with me? We'll do anything you want. And I was like, well... Uh, we can even go upstairs and play Barbies, you know, if you want to do that. She's really into Barbies, you know, and and um, she looked at me, and she's like, I have an idea. I was like, oh, no. Well, what is it? Like, what, what's going to happen to my hair? What's, what's going to, you know, what am I going to have to wear, you know? But she's like, how about we put on Christmas jammies, make popcorn, and watch Christmas movies? And I instantly thought, that's my girl right there. Just proud, proud daddy right there. Uh, there's something just about this time of year that overwhelms us. I don't know what it is. And you, you might not be super crazy like me, but you still feel it. There's, it's just something like as it gets closer to this time of year, it's just something in our hearts that just begin to kind of lean into the season. And, and it's not just about the Black Friday deals, even though that's pretty awesome. I, I used to be against Black Friday until I realized how much money I could save, and I'm a proud sponsor of Black Friday. So uh, it, if you, if you want to hang with us, we'll definitely be going. But uh, what's amazing to me is that even though the world in this culture has tried particularly hard to remove Jesus from this season— as much as possible, that it, it's Christmas, but it's more about Santa Claus than it is about the coming of Christ, that the, the culture is trying to create this to be a neutral celebration of all faiths. At the core of the feeling of Christmas is rooted completely in the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That, that's where it comes from. And even though we may not even realize it, 
Jesus and the gospel message is the center of everything surrounding this holiday, from sea to shining sea, from coast to coast. And, and so in this series, as we're looking at the most wonderful time of the year, I want to kind of immerse us in the Christmas spirit. So I'm going to invite you, if you have an ugly Christmas sweater or you have your favorite Christmas um, regalia or, or clothing, to wear it to church. Join in the Christmas spirit. I think we're, gonna, we're planning some different things. To, uh, we might have a hot chocolate bar, you know, throughout the... Throughout the Christmas season, there might be some different things that we do, but just join in the Christmas fun because um, I, I just really want to uh, get into that, into that Christmas spirit through the Holy Spirit because it is not just the holidays that is bringing us together. And through this series, this teaching series, as we lean up to actually Christmas Day, we're going to kind of unpack the why behind the what. Why? Is the Christmas spirit a thing? Why is there a feeling that kind of uh, unites us together? What is the why behind the what as Scripture reveals why this is really the most wonderful time of the year? And so today we're going to talk about something uh, wonderful. It's the, the most wonderful time for fellowship. Somebody say fellowship. It's the most wonderful time for fellowship. We're going to pray, and then we're going to just have a conversation about fellowship. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good. And we've sang about your goodness, but we don't even scratch the surface. We can read the Bible from cover to cover and see all the amazing signs, wonders, and miracles that you did. We can believe and have faith for miracles for today and see you heal, to see you restore deaf ears and open blind eyes and raise the dead. We can see all the many miraculous things you do. We can look up into the sky and see the glorious creation in the heavens. As the Bible says, the heavens declare your handiwork. We can look at each person sitting next to us and those in our family and look at the fingerprint that you put upon their lives as just evidence of your glory and your wisdom and your infinite knowledge. But God, even then, we're not even scratching the surface on who you are. And then we look at the story about Jesus coming. And God, it is something revolutionary, something transformational. And God, I just ask you, Lord, to help us lean in, to not close our ears off to yet another season where we read the same story and look at the same characters and sing the same songs, God, but that you would give us a refreshing, that you would just inspire us anew and increase our faith, God, to believe for the promises to come. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to move on hearts and lives right now in Jesus' name. And all God's people agree by saying, amen, amen, amen. So if we're talking about fellowship today, isn't it amazing that one of the things that kind of goes along with this season is getting together? I mean, we don't really, or like we like hang out with friends and, and we do things with family members. But like when this season kicks in, we're already get, beginning to look at our calendars and plan when is the staff Christmas party? When's the, when's the family getting together? Some of you might get together with family once. Some of you might have several families to get to. And it's just like part of the thing. We, we get together with people during this time of year. And I have to, I just asked this question, why do we make a big deal about having Christmas parties with coworkers, with friends, and, and multiple family events? What makes us come together to spread Christmas cheer? What makes us wear goofy 
Christmas sweaters, sing holiday songs, play games, eat sweet treats, laugh and have fun. What is it that, that does it? Is it just tradition or is there something greater happening that just kind of leads us into this season? Now, when you're a kid, and I can remember this, and having kids of my own who are still kind of small, this is not an uncommon experience in my home. But one of the favorite things kids like to say when the, your parents give you, like, give you an instruction or tell you something, they often respond with a question. And that question is what? Why? Why? Uh, my youngest son has, has kind of done this thing where he has realized that there's really kind of two negative ways to use that word, either to be annoying with it or to be offensive with it. You know, when you tell your kid to go clean your room, and they're like, why? You know, that's, that's offensive. But when they ask you a question, like, why is the sky blue? And you say, I don't know, that's the way God created it. And they say, why? And you say, because that's what he thought to do. Well, why? Well, why? And it goes on and on, and that's annoying, right? So there, there are kind of two ways that kids can use the word why. But in, when you're reading the Bible, the Bible is full of mystery. The Bible is full of mystery. The infinite God gave us 66 books and not even those books contain the wealth of his knowledge. But inside of these 66 books, this library, are mystery upon mystery that we can lean in and discover even greater realities of how amazing this God of ours is. And as we look at the Bible and the mysteries there, Jesus said, if you remember, to enter into the kingdom of God, you must have faith like a what? A child. You must believe. You must have faith like a child. And one of the things children do as they're trying to learn, they're trying to grow in understanding, is they often ask the question, why? So it's important for us, no matter how old you are or how long you've studied the Bible, when you're reading a story, especially the Christmas story that you hear over and over and over again, that you don't just gloss over the details, but that you stop and ask, why? The question, why? Like little children, we should be asking why. In Proverbs 25, verse 2, here's what Solomon writes. He says, It's the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out the matter. It's the glory of God. God enjoys concealing reality about him, concealing mysteries. Why? Does he want to hoard it all to himself? No. Why? Because the, the next reaction, the kings search out the matter. He conceals the mystery so that we will lean in and seek him out to discover the truth of that mystery. It's an invitation to come and see how big God is. Come and discover truth. Come and discover the depth of his love. Greater revelation gives us a clearer picture of who God is. And the more clearly we see God, the more awe and wonder we will experience. The, the more amazing we'll see that this great God of ours loves this little oh me. We'll be overwhelmed with his goodness. And there is a mystery to this word fellowship that we're talking about today and why we get together uh, at all as Christians and really during the holiday season. And it's not just to overeat or watch football. It tends to be the, the common theme, especially with Thanksgiving. But if you look up the word fellowship and what does fellowship mean, Google defines fellowship as simply friendly association, especially with people who share the same interests. So a fellowship or fellowship can simply be a gathering of friendly people who like the same things. In other words, a group of people with common interests. So the church, 
like what we are gathering today, that's a fellowship. But also the VFW is a fellowship. The uh, Masons are a fellowship. There are many type of fellowship. Even Fortnite players who play video games together over the internet can be considered a fellowship because they're coming to one place to share in a similar experience. But when the Bible talks about fellowship, it's not just talking about people with common interests who get together. It is talking about something quite deeper. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, as the, the church of Jesus Christ is beginning to be unleashed in the world, Jesus has ascended into heaven. The disciples were waiting in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is poured out. You see the tongues of fire. They're speaking in tongues. They're mighty rushing wind. 3,000 new converts to Christianity happen in a single moment, probably one of the greatest church services we would ever be able to attend if we ever had the luxury. And after this uh, church begins to be unleashed and Christian after Christian begins to give their life to Christ, it begins to describe this new community that is beginning to be formed. In Acts 2.42, here's what the Bible says. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. This word fellowship, which is the way we tend to use the word fellowship or should be using the word fellowship, in the Greek language is called koinonia. Somebody say koinonia. Koinonia. There will be a pop quiz at the end of the service today. Now, koinonia, and this word koinonia isn't a friendly gathering. This is communion. This is intimate. This is a deep connection uh, in uh, Vine's expository lexicon of the Greek language, it, it describes this word not just as partnership or fellowship, but literally to share which one has in anything, a participation, fellowship recognized and enjoyed as they experience the common experiences and, in, and share basically life together in a deep and intimate way. Through the, the realization of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, uh, the participation in the Lord's Supper, uh, the experience of the Holy Spirit, there's a deep connection that's more than just a common interest. It, it, it's like strangers becoming family and sitting at a table with an intimacy that they didn't previously have. Koinonia is more than just friends with common interest. It is a deep connection. And that deep connection that has gathered every one of us here today is created through our common faith in Jesus Christ. Do you realize that Jesus has brought you here today? That, that you're here because of something God was doing in your life this week to work the circumstance out so that you would find your way into this place here today. He has a purpose for you to be here. He has a reason you're here. And those of you that come week after week, he has worked in your life in a, such a way that you would call Vertical Life Church home. And why do we come? It's for koinonia. It's to gather together to share what we have with one another, to bless each other, to encourage one another, to experience through each other the very love that God has for us. That's why we gather together. So we are compelled into this fellowship so that the joy of knowing God can be experienced together. You're not just here to attend a church service. You're not just here to listen to me speak or sing some songs. You're here so that you can experience the love of God through other people and so that other people can experience the love of God through you. There's a spiritual compelling to be a part of a faith family. 
Now, as we kind of shift focus and begin to target on this gathering, this Christmas story, not only is there a spiritual compelling to be part of a faith family or a faith community, but also for those uh, in this Christmas story, at the coming of Jesus' birth, there was a catalytic event that drew all those characters together. And it's this same catalytic event, the birth of Christ, that draws people together to experience God's goodness even today. We're going to begin looking in Luke chapter 2 uh, in verse 10. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. We also have the words on the screen or in the YouVersion Bible app. You can follow along with the notes. But in Luke chapter 2, it begins really talking about this Christmas story and really the the catalytic event or the, the work of the Holy Spirit that brings people together, the purpose for why we come together, especially around this holiday season, I believe, and it's a significant thing that if we just gloss over, we'll miss. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, here is what happens. The, the, the angel is revealing the coming of the Messiah, and it says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Somebody say all people. All people. So there's something that's coming that's for all people. And what is it? The angels revealed it is the good tidings of great joy. It is not just the, the understanding that joy is possible. It's not just the message that joy has come. It's the reality that you can experience great joy. And it's not just for a select group of people. It's for all people. See, the gift of Jesus' birth was not just for the church. It's not just for those who have a faith tradition. It's not just for the sum. It's for the all. It's for all people. And we know this ultimately is fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Christ, that there's a gift that is given to all the world. But there's something powerful about the birth of Jesus that brings people together, even outside of the Christian faith whether they know it or not. If you think about it, there will be Christmas parties all over the country with people that don't even believe in Jesus. But why? Why are they gathering for the Christmas season? So when people who are far from God gather for Christmas and they enjoy the blessing of fellowship over the holidays, they experience this joy, this, this feeling that really touches all of us. They're experiencing the effect that the birth of Jesus Christ had to unleash joy into the world, whether they know it or not. In James chapter 117, the writer of James writes this to the church. He says, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. All goodness comes from God. All goodness. So we need to wrap our minds around that because often we think, well, if people don't believe in God or they live immoral lives, then, then they don't experience the goodness of God. That's not biblically correct because God loves the whole world. Everyone. He gave his life for everyone. So there is goodness that you experience even apart from God. All goodness comes from God, and it's part of the revelation of his love toward us. In Matthew 5, 43 through 45 this is Jesus talking. He says, You've heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just 
and the unjust alike. This good tidings of comfort and joy was not just to be experienced by those who would believe. It's to create an event that would unleash goodness in the world, and that goodness would then draw people to the source of that goodness, which is Jesus Christ. He gives goodness to both the just and the unjust, the good and the evil. I was reading this past week in my devotional time with the Lord the, uh, through the Old Testament, and I'm in the book of Jonah. You know, Jonah is in the belly of the whale for, for three days, and, and he has this conversation with God and the reason why Jonah had to go into the belly of the, the great fish is because God told him to go to this wicked city who was evil, immoral, it was corrupt. And he told to go, Jonah to go preach to that city so that they could repent of their sins or else they would be judged and wiped out. And Jonah didn't want to go because he didn't want them to repent. He wanted them to be wiped out. And I think that's kind of the attitude that some of us have when we look at people either of different faiths or different lifestyles or morality. We would rather God judge and, and take them out because of the things they do rather than give them an opportunity to have a changed life. And so Jonah, rather than going where God told him to go, he went the other way. And he took a ship to another place and, and God sent a storm. And in order to make the storm stop, they threw Jonah overboard, got swallowed in the fish. And then he spit him back out on the shore of Nineveh, and he had to go do what God told him to do. And after Jonah preaches repentance, and they begin to repent, Jonah gets mad, and he starts having a conversation with God and saying, See, I told you, if I went and told them to repent, they'd repent, and then you wouldn't wipe them out. And, and God has this conversation with them. And he made a statement that just, like, broke my heart. And, it, and I've, I've probably read it a hundred times, but, but this week it just stuck with me. He said, I, I, in essence, I'm mourning and I'm grieved over the people for their wickedness because not only the people, but the animals have to live in this cursed land because of their sin. And God was like revealing his heart for these people that no matter how wicked they were, no matter how many murders were there or how much abuse and uh, idolatry and all this stuff was going on, God was grieved not because they weren't doing right. It's because of the way that they were living and that it was cursing the land and everything, even the animals were being cursed and that there was no good coming out of that. And God looked at the darkness and he says, I want to infuse goodness in this place of darkness. I want to transform this place of darkness. And so he sent someone to take a message of goodness to bring good into this place of darkness. And it just like brought me to tears of thinking, oh my God, how much are you weeping even for this nation? And the people in our lives, how much are you weeping for the people I don't agree with? Or maybe I, I, I get rubbed the wrong way because they don't vote for the same candidates or believe in the same politics and all of these things. And how far has my heart been? And that his goodness isn't just for those who are biblically sound or have a Christian faith. His goodness is for those even who are far from God so that through experiencing his goodness, they'd be drawn in and have a transformed life. It's such an amazing thing. The way God thinks is beyond anything that we think. And so he pours out his goodness in times like this where Christmas, the holidays are out and people are putting lights up and all this stuff and they have these warm, fuzzy feelings. They have these memories that just evoke incredible joy. Those feelings, that sense of joy is to draw them in to the one who is the giver of joy, to the one who is the foundation of joy. So when people feel joy that is from God, when they feel that, they feel when they're appreciated, when 
they feel included or accepted in a group, it is, those feelings are from the Lord. And God will gather people together, even those who hate him, he'll gather them together so they can taste his goodness. Why? Because he is a good God. He is a good, good God, and he loves the whole world. And he loves you. So think about this. Even the story of the birth of Jesus, think of the cast of characters, right? You can probably think of a nativity scene in your head, right? Who, who's in the cast of characters? You got, of course, baby Jesus. And then you got who? Mary and Joseph. Who else do you got? Three wise men and the shepherds and the angel, right? Just picture this, this scene that you have in there. And you think of the, the birth of Jesus, you know, Mary and Joseph, they were like a blue-collar family. Or Joseph was a carpenter, and, and so they probably weren't well off. And they might have struggled and, and been in poverty, but they at least had a job. They were working class, and they were engaged to be married. And, and so, they, you know, they, were, they could relate to several people, you know, in our community and, and probably in this room. Then you had the shepherds who were really the low class. They were kind of shunned in that day and time because they were just lowly shepherds. They didn't make much money, and they were out in the wilderness alone for long periods of time. So they were probably strange and, and smelly, and so they were the oddballs. So people kind of didn't give them a lot of credibility. So they'd be on the low side of the spectrum. And then you have the three wise men who, if you think of their gifts, and we don't know it was three wise men. We think that because there was three gifts, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But even if it was just three or, or an entourage, it doesn't matter. But you have the wise men, and you think about the wise men. Why were the wise men there? Have you ever thought about that? Like, we, we hear the story, we know they follow the star, but really, why? Why are they following a star, and why are they included? I mean, I can understand Mary and Joseph, they're in, they're in their town, Jesus is born. The shepherds, like, were around the town, and I can, I can wrap my mind around that, that they were in the area, so the angels come and proclaim, and the, the shepherds come and find Jesus, and then they go tell everybody, you know, what's going on. But why were the wise men even there? This is the, the why question. This is where we have to stop and think about this through. Why did these guys even know to look for a star to begin with? So the Bible tells us in Matthew 2 that the wise men came from the east. So they weren't even Israelites. They weren't even from the nation of Israel. They weren't in this country. They weren't of Jewish faith. So why were they even there? It's just an interesting question. That They were more likely from the Babylonian or Persian Empire. So how did they even know to look for Jesus or to go on a long journey into a country that was really an enemy to their homeland to find a place where the Messiah was born. And how did they even know about him? This is an interesting question and maybe one that you've not dove into. Well, there is another name for the wise men. Depending on the translation of the Bible that you use, the, they could be referred to as the magi, which comes from a Greek word, which is magus or magus. And that could also mean wise men, but it's also referred to a specific type of a group of people. The Magus is a name given by Babylonians, Medes, Persians, and other nations at that time to teachers, priests, physicians, astrologers, seers, so prophetic people, interpreters of dreams, augurs, soothsayers, and sorcerers. So if you think about the wise, they weren't just wise men. These weren't like followers of Socrates and Plato, that they spent their days thinking deeply about, about deep things. These were some mystical 
people. They were mystics from the Persian or Babylonian Empire. And so if you begin to study who they are, it really makes no sense that they would be there. Why are these people in the nativity? Why are they even there? And why are these wealthy people who seem to be enemies of Israel coming to look for the Hebrew Messiah? Well, what's amazing in this revelation is around 605 B.C., 600 years before Jesus was even born, there is a man in the Old Testament named Daniel. You remember who Daniel is? Daniel in the lion's den, right? It's a famous child time story. Well, Daniel, he was taken into captivity into the Babylonian Empire under King Nebuchadnezzar. And in Daniel chapter 2, we won't turn there, but I'll just sum the story up for you. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel and three of his friends were, were there in captivity in exile. The king kind of kidnapped some of the, the royal family and uh, good-looking men and uh, young men from the Israeli people, the brightest and the, the mo most intelligent because he thought it would make his nation stronger if he brought them into the culture, trained them, and used them in, uh, to lead society. So Daniel's among this group. And in Daniel chapter 2, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream. And it's so troubling that when he wakes up the next morning, he sends out a decree to all of his wise men, all of his, all of his uh, great thinkers. And he says, I need you to not only tell me what my dream was, but then give me the interpretation of my dream. So get with the gods, get with the people you worship, come and tell me what my dream was, and then the interpretation. And the wise men were freaking out. They're like, there's nobody on the planet that can tell you what your dream was. you got to tell us the dream, and then we'll give you an interpretation. And the king wouldn't do it. And he said, if you don't tell me what the dream is, I'm going to kill all of you. I, I'm going to, you'll be worth nothing to me. I will kill you. And they're like, we can't tell you. So the king sent a decree to kill all of the wise men in the, the nation of Babylon. And the word gets to Daniel that there's a hit for his life, that the king's going to kill him and his friends and all the wise men. And so he asked for additional time that so he could pray and ask God for the dream, the interpretation. And God blesses Daniel with a gift of dreams and interpretation and reveals the dream to him. And Daniel goes to the king, not only tells the king the dream, but gives him the interpretation. And the king is so blown away that he bows down to worship Daniel. And then he promotes Daniel to a high position in his court. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, here is what the word of God says. It says, The king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over the who? The wise men. He made him chief over all the wise men. So the question is, who were these wise men? In Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the beginning of the chapter, when Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, here's what the Bible says. It says, One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called his magicians enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed as they stood before the king. Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel the prophet chief over the Magi, made him chief over the wise men of Babylon, of Persia, the very same group of people that show up in Luke chapter 2 and Matthew at the birth of Christ are the very same group of people that Daniel, the Hebrew prophet, is in charge of. And this is significant because 483 years 
Well, Daniel really prophesies of when the Messiah would arrive. He instructed, as he was the chief, he was instructing these mystics on not just the Babylonian culture, but Hebrew culture. And he revealed the prophecies that God gave him to these students of his. And he revealed that when the temple was destroyed, that 483 years would go by before the temple, a decree would go out to rebuild the temple and the, and the city of Jerusalem. And after that 483 years, between that point and the next destruction of the temple, the Messiah would come, as well as many other prophecies relating to the Messiah, the Hebrew Messiah. So these mystics, knowing that not only Daniel was an interpreter of dreams and was accurate, not only was in the court of at least three Persian kings and Babylonian kings, not only did he supernaturally survive this den of lions when his enemies did not, they would have looked at the, the, the reliability of this man and had been tracing over the course of history the very prophecies that Daniel had given for the Messiah, leading to the point where they see the star in heaven and they follow the star to the birth of Christ. It is such an amazing thing to look at what happened 605 years before led a group of men to be a part of a story, the story that changes the entire world. Because without the nativity, there is no Easter. Without the nativity, there is no cross of Jesus Christ. It's amazing the brilliance of God, how he orchestrated these events in a completely different part of the world, in a plagues that was at odds with or enemies of Israel, that these magi, students of Daniel, would be drawn to the place where the Messiah would be born to join in the blessing of Koinonia, a fellowship united through the presence of Almighty God, where they could experience true comfort and joy at the coming of the King of Kings. And in this, in this picture, if you think of the nativity scene, you have a joining of multiple ethnic groups and multiple socioeconomic groups together and multiple nations in one singular event. And I just think of like Mary and Joseph as they are going through all of the, the situation in this story. And God was working well before Christmas Day to bring that fellowship together. But Mary and Joseph, they were carrying Jesus and they had no idea that God would send enemies to their gathering to not only become friends, but to change nations. They had no idea that they were really had no full understanding that they were carrying God in flesh. They had no understanding who they were carrying with them, nor did they understand that who would be coming to their gathering and the impact that their lives would have on nations. And as I think about the why behind the what, that God's plan is that the whole world would experience comfort and joy, that the whole world would experience the goodness of God so that they could be drawn to Jesus and then be transformed and changed. I think of this story with Mary and Joseph, and I think about how does that relate to our Christmas celebrations? How does that relate? These people 600 years ago, this event that brought them, that ultimately led them to this moment, how does that relate to our Christmas celebrations? Think about what miracles and what catalytic events that God has had to work through, accomplish, and fulfill over centuries past to gather everyone around your table this week. Think about that. 
what we take for granted, family gathering after family gathering. But God has been putting things in motion so that in your fellowship this week, that everyone that is there would be there at the appointed time. Think about your Christmas parties at work. Maybe that you haven't thought about it like this before, but think about what God has worked through centuries past so that this year, this season, at this Christmas party, these people would be working in the place that you work. These people would come together at this party to experience the comfort and joy, the true spirit of Christmas, the true blessing of the coming of Jesus. Even if they don't have a faith, imagine what God had to do to bring them to that place in life. And I think of Mary and Joseph, how they didn't recognize really what they were carrying and the impact that that would have on nations and people. Do we really stop and think about who we're carrying with us and the impact that we can have on those around us if we simply allow that good tidings of comfort and joy to build up not just in our lives, but then overflow into the lives of the people that God has brought to our fellowship and to our gatherings. God has worked in everyone's life so that together through the coming of Jesus, all may experience the joy of the seasons through supernatural fellowship. And I know not every family gathering is joyous, right? There's, there's problems in families. There's dynamics. There's drama. Maybe there's one person at your workplace you really don't like, and so when you're going to the Christmas party, you're praying, oh, God, don't let me sit by that one. You know, this year, don't, let me be in another place at the table. But maybe, just maybe, you can see that God didn't bring the characters of this Christmas story together just because, but he had a glorious purpose for it. Not just to make them feel good in the moment, but to transform the world. And maybe, just maybe, you can see that God has brought you to that meeting. God has brought you to that table. God has brought even the one we can't stand to that place so that through you and the one that you're carrying, they can be transformed, and so can their families for generations and generations. God, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you. God is drawing people to you because you too carry Jesus with you. And the one thing, it's one thing to be at a party for someone who's not there, like a surprise party. If you've been to a surprise birthday party, and it's not your surprise party, you're there for somebody else, and so you get there early, so the cars can be staged in the right place, and everyone can be hiding, or at least in a place where they can't be found, and you're waiting and waiting for the, the, the guest of honor to arrive. It's not really a party, is it? You're just kind of waiting around, maybe having a few casual conversations. But when the guest of honor, the one who the party is supposed to be there for, arrives, that's when the party begins. That's when the surprise happens. The, you know, the music begins to play. You can start eating the food. Someone cuts the cake. And that's when the party begins to happen. The thing is, is that Christmas is a surprise party. It's a party where God surprises the world with his presence. And every Christmas party we go to, every gathering we have is a party where we can bring the guest of honor with us. 
And when we bring the guest of honor with us and we bring him into the room where his love is pouring out of us, where our hands and feet are his hands and feet, where our words are his words, and we're speaking life over people and we're praying for healing and we're being uh, the body of Christ, we're being his representatives in that room, then the true party can really begin to happen. Maybe this year, guests at our party, where they come in expecting to become drunk on alcohol, they actually leave being drunk on the Holy Spirit because of an encounter that they have with us. Maybe, just maybe, that if we approach our gatherings as we are carrying the presence of God with us and that this is the encounter that these people are needing to have, that maybe, just maybe, not just uh, one individual, but maybe a whole family line will be changed this year. That this year they celebrate an atheist Christmas, but next year they give glory to God Almighty. Maybe, just maybe, if we recognize that God is bringing us together for koinonia, for his good tidings of comfort and joy, so that the gospel message, the reality of who God is, can be on display in the lives of his people. And then Jesus truly can be glorified and lives can be changed. Imagine what kind of Christmas parties we could have. Imagine what kind of difference we could make in our coworkers, especially in a time where people are more likely to be receptive to Christ and the things that he's done. More people attend church during Christmas and Easter than any other time during the year. There's just something about this time of year that opens people up to who God is. And if we recognize that we are carrying Jesus with us, and that God has brought people together. He's worked like a master chess player, working uh, in everyone's lives to bring the encounters that he brings. And man, imagine the opportunities we'll have. There might be someone in your gathering that God is sending to you specifically to encounter. So like the Magi, after encounter, encountering Jesus, they fall on their knees and worship the Lord. Maybe someone's feeling rejected like the shepherds, and because of your love, they cast off their orphan spirit and recognize who they are, sons and daughters of God, and arise in the confidence as powerful witnesses of the Lord. Let's remember why we gather. It's not just tradition. It's the most wonderful time of the year because it's a wonderful time for fellowship, a true connection with our Savior and our God where his love can overflow, not just to us, but through us to touch other people. So to help us avoid the drama and the negative sides of fellowship, we need to remember that it's not about us, it's about Jesus. If you walk into your family meeting thinking it's about you, you're going to be rubbed the wrong way. But if you walk in knowing it's about Jesus, then it's an opportunity to serve and bless others. We're united together with those sitting around the table or the fireplace of the Christmas tree, not only to celebrate Jesus, but to be changed by Jesus and bonded even deeper together because of what he does in each of our lives and in our hearts. Now, I want to end today just by looking ahead to this week because we begin the holiday season really with Thanksgiving, a holiday that began because we worshiped God for providing for the survival, really, of our nation. As the pilgrims came over and they survived that first winter, many people died. 
And those that survived, they came together. They had a celebratory meal that became a national tradition as a way to thank God for blessings and blessing how he provided, how he brought through, how he helped us survive. And so as we kick off the season right, we want to... uh, close our service by giving the church time to thank God for what he's done. And um, Tony, if I could get you to come down um, to grab the microphone, um, I want to open an opportunity for you to share what you're thankful for. And uh, Reese, we can go ahead and play the music, but let's make sure it's soft uh, just to um, set the mood here. But to really think about what God has done in your life. It doesn't have to be long Um, We're not going to call on anybody. This is totally free will. But something happens when the church gives thanks. When you share what God's done, you give testimony. And if you're thankful maybe for your spouse or you're thankful for uh, somebody else in this church, you're thankful for how God provided for a need this year, I'm just going to invite you to slip your hand up and we'll bring the microphone to you and let you share uh, that quick word. And then uh, we'll go on to somebody else. And then after we have our time of a a thanks, then we're going to close tonight, this morning, with uh, the Lord's Supper and really thanking God for what He's done for us, to forgive us of our sins and to make us new. And so uh, I'm just going to uh, start because I feel like once somebody starts, then uh, it opens the door for others. But I want to give thanks. I mean, I could be here for another 45 minutes giving thanks. But first, I want to give thanks for this wonderful lady down here. She is amazing. Yep. Um, She didn't. Yeah, Siri. Um, You have no idea how much my wife does to make our family successful. She sacrifices staying at home, not only keeping a house spick and span, which would be an absolute wreck if it was up to me, but she started homeschooling our kids, and it's going phenomenal. She's a partner in ministry. She's got so many gifts and, and abilities that God uses to make me a better and a stronger man. And, uh, and a more faithful father, husband, and believer. And so I'm just desperately thankful for you. And uh, I appreciate you so very much. And I also appreciate this church. Uh, without your faithfulness coming week in and week out, first, I wouldn't have anybody to speak to. And I wouldn't be able to minister. But it's just a blessing to me to see how God's working and moving in your life and getting to be able to be a part of that. And uh, I'm thankful for the stories, for the tears, for the laughter, for just all the things we've been through together. And I'm so looking forward to what God brings in this next year. Just believing for big things. And, uh, and uh, so thank you for letting me be your pastor. And uh, with that, um, if someone else wants to go give thanks, just slip your hand up. We've got Chris. Awesome. strong um, so definitely thankful for all you guys my wife um, and thankful for what we got going here and uh, if I may uh, Psalm 100 it says uh, shout with joy to the Lord of the earth worship the Lord with gladness come before him with singing and joy acknowledge that the Lord is good he made us and we are his we are his people the sheep of his pasture enter his gates with thanksgiving and go into the, his courts with praise 
Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. So let's all, I mean, just definitely, I just one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite first sermons I ever preached as a kid, and uh, I just wanted to share that with you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Who's next? In the back. Amen. Thank you. My name is Patty Moyer, and I would like to thank Chris and Aaron for being the wonderful sons I have. That's my family. That's all I have here. Um, now that I've been going to the church here, I feel like everyone here is my family. Amen. So I went from two to a very large family. And I love it. Thank you, God. Amen. Um, with everybody else, I'm just grateful for my family. I want to thank my daughter, Nicole, who at 16 knew it was a favorite verse of mine. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. She put it on my birthday cake. And uh, I can tell you through all the ups and downs, God has been faithful. Amen. I do have another, I have a son and another daughter. I'm grateful for them, their spouses, grandkids, great-grandkids. So I'm blessed. Amen. Thank, Thank you. you. Amen. I just want to say I'm thankful to be alive and I'm speaking up, Mom. Okay, I'm just really thankful for what Jesus has done in my life. Uh, I just know without his help, I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in right now. I'm celebrating 19 months almost now of sobriety Amen. from addictions. Yeah. So I can formally say I was an addict. I've been redeemed just like all of us can be redeemed. All we have to do is just keep putting our trust in the relationship that we want from Jesus. Yes. I mean, as long as we keep putting him first, we're going to be okay. And like I said, and like she said, too, we're all family. Yeah. I don't talk to a lot of people, but once I start talking, you can't shut me up. So just give me a moment, and I'll talk to you guys afterwards. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? Down front. thankful for this church, for Joey leading me back to God, and um, 
I praise him every day. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, I want to say that I'm thankful for um, my family and my grandson, mm -hmm. um, Joey, you and your family, um, that you listen to the, the spirit to give us the word and the time that you spend to feed us spiritually and um, to one more be in the backbone of a godly man and your children for the sacrifice that you guys give us. And um, like I said, my family and um, God giving me grandchildren um, is the most wonderful feeling in the world. Um, and I just, I'm so thankful for God's love and his grace and his mercy that he gives us every day. giving me some exercise today. I thank God for giving me my two new girls yes. and all the girls that are in my house. We now have um, myself and nine daughters. Wow. I have my oldest yes. daughter is 30 and she helps me and she has two and I now have six so that's eight little girls and my oldest daughter. So I now have nine girls in my house. Wow. God has given us a full quiver. Yeah. And I thank him for opening doors right. because this week I had a vehicle, my Suburban. We were driving down the road. I took the girls to their school, which is on the Pearson Road exit. Mm -hmm. On the way back, the back end fell out. Oh I did goodness. not get hurt. The, um, the car, something in there ruined something in the front and that ruined something else but God kept it together and the tow truck took it to the muffler man and the other car in our front driveway would not open the doors at all wow. for two months would not open the doors my daughter is a techie like you know she yeah. can use tools and do anything but she couldn't get the doors open either so I was right at the end of the minute I mean I was at the 11th hour and I went to my car, I laid hands on it, and I said, I just need a break. I need a breakthrough. Can I just cut a, cut a break right now? In Jesus' name, I need this door to open. And I put that key in, and I turned it, and something said, do it again. So I twisted one way and twisted the other way, and it worked. Amen. Door opened. Amen. God opened that door. Yeah. God That's opens right. doors, and I'm right. thankful. That's right. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah. Yes. I don't know how many uh, deer hunters are in here, but uh, I'm thankful for the five deer I shot yeah. with my 450 Bushmaster. Amen. And uh, I brought some uh, pepper sticks for you. Oh, hey. Amen. I'll say thank, thank you for that. <laughs> and I'm thankful for my wife right here. <laughs> That's awesome. And my son, Parker. Amen. Anyone else? Awesome. All right, well, let's stand together. And we'll close we'll, uh, just by inviting you to come down and receive the elements. We'll pray together. But uh, I just invite you, uh, as we do 
communion a little different. We're not going to be formal. We're not going to come back to our seats and, and do the whole thing. I just invite you to come down and gather at God's table and fellowship together as we remember what Jesus has done and carry this into this week and the holiday season, remembering his sacrifice. Without him giving his life, we would have no hope for eternity. But because he loved us so much that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. God, as we come down at your table and we uh, just fellowship together before we leave and go our separate ways, God, we just ask that uh, we would not lose sight of what you're doing and how you're working all things out in our lives. That even in brokenness, God, you can use us to uh, bring a miracle. And so, God, I just pray you help us to lean into your presence, to recognize the voice of your spirit, to keep our hope on Jesus, our eyes fixed on him. God, we thank you for the body that was broken, the blood that was shed, for forgiveness uh, of sins that is made possible through his cross. And we thank you, God, for Christmas, this time where we can gather with family and friends and experience the joy that comes with knowing you. And I just pray, God, that with whatever gatherings we attend, whether it is with church family or other uh, family that believes or with it's those that are far from you, God, that when we walk into that room, the anointing of your presence would be such, God, that it would change the environment and the atmosphere for where we go, that people would be drawn to you, God, and that you would work mightily as we uh, speak for you, as we pray to give you glory, and we worship you, Lord, with uh, our ability to minister to other people. So, God, we just pray your blessings on today. In Jesus' name.